Welcome back to Focus on the Light, a Come Follow Me podcast. This week in particular, talking about Genesis chapter 5 and Moses chapter 6 as we continue through the Old Testament. So without further ado, to just start immediately talking about it, as we've been going through the Old Testament, I've been very, very grateful, and I was talking to my mom about this, very grateful for restored scriptures, particularly the Pearl of Great Price and the great addition that it's been to the study of the Old Testament this year especially in the comparison we've started with between Genesis and Moses and the big difference and and greater truths we've had because of the book of Moses. These two particular chapters, Genesis chapter 5 and Moses chapter 6, drive that home uh, to the furthest it's been. If you start in Genesis chapter 5, it's one of those chapters that we get frequently in the scriptures where it's so-and-so begat so-and-so and lived this many years, and then so-and-so begat so-and-so and lived this many years. All it is, is begatting and people living for hundreds of years. In 32 verses of scripture, we go from Adam and Eve at the creation to Noah, the Noah who had the flood. We don't quite get to the flood, but we get to Noah's birth. That's about nine generations, or in the great amount of time that they lived, about a thousand years. When we go through it, like it's nothing. If Genesis 5 was the only thing that I had to teach on this week, I'd have about three usable verses. The first two verses talking about our creation and God's image that we talked about at length before. And then these strange verses kind of in the middle about this Enoch guy who walked with God. I mean, this individual sounds remarkable. He's the only one that gets this type of description. But then without any explanation, we go back to begatting. Why even mention this if we're not going to get some extra insights into it? Why waste the time writing anything extra about Enoch if it just goes on to more begatting? So, comparing that to Moses chapter 6, again, the experience is completely different. Moses chapter 6 is 68 verses, so in about a little more than double the amount of verses we had from Genesis chapter 5, we only go about halfway as far as the genealogy goes. We go from Adam and Eve to Enoch, which is about six generations and 600 years. More verses, but less time. And it's because these verses of scripture are rich with teachings of Jesus Christ and his doctrine. The very popular words in the LDS church, the plan of salvation, comes from this chapter in Moses. In Genesis, we have none of that. And again, it makes me very, very grateful for the restored truths that we get through the restoration of the gospel and all the work that Joseph Smith did and, and all the living prophets, but also strengthens my testimony of Moses as a prophet and him writing these words. And I'm grateful that these truths weren't lost through the translation and many years that the Bible and Old Testament in particular were around we lost a lot of these things and what a blessing it is to have them because these truths are wonderful and extremely important. If Genesis chapter five was all about begatting and old men, Moses chapter six is all about repenting and prophets. As soon as the chapter starts, there is an obvious theme starting in verse one. And Adam hearkened unto the voice of God and called upon his sons to repent. Skipping verse two to verse three. And God revealed himself unto Seth, Adam's son, And he rebelled not, but offered an acceptable sacrifice like unto his brother Abel. And to him also was born a son, and he called his name Enos. And then began these men to call upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord blessed them. From the moment this chapter starts, we see the obvious theme of repentance and calling upon God. Repentance. 
an essential part of the doctrine of Christ, taught right from the beginning, that is not mentioned once in Genesis, or Genesis chapter 5 at least. So the history starts very similar to so-and-so begetting so-and-so. We get that, but with more detail, more detail about these individuals teaching their children and learning to repent and learning to call upon God. But in Moses chapter 6, we also get the other side of this. In verse 15, it says, And the children of men were numerous upon all the face of the land. And in those days, Satan had great dominion among them and raged in their hearts. And from thenceforth came wars and bloodshed, and a man's hand was against his own brother in administering death because of secret works seeking for power. Those verses in particular reminded me of the description we often get of the Lamanites. Even in times where righteous families and parents are teaching their kids to repent and to call upon God, there's those who do not, who do not believe. I think that we could describe our world as Satan having great dominion upon the earth. So there's a lot we can learn here. And one of the great things we can learn in this is in verse 17. So it's talking about the wickedness, right? Which is verse 15, talking about the great wickedness of the people. Jumping to verse 17 talks about Enos and where he lived. And Enos and the residue of the people of God came out from the land, which was called Shulon, and dwelt in the land of promise, which he called after his own son, whom he had named Canaan. Again, very similar to the Book of Mormon, we see that the wickedness grows, and so the righteous people of God have to go to a new land and start over. And it's important to remember and to learn that no matter what is happening on the earth, even when Satan has great dominion over the earth, the Lord always watches over his people on the earth. In particular, it reminded me of a conversation I was having with my family, particularly with Zany, if she's listening to this. We were talking about the second coming and the eventual coming of the Savior and all the things that have yet to be fulfilled in the prophecies, wars, destruction, earthquakes, fire, like it just... These are horrible sounding things. It, that, that part of the second coming doesn't sound enticing or comforting. And so very reasonably, Zany and also my wife, Daisha, were, were saying, well, well, that's kind of makes me nervous. You know, that's, don't you get worried about those things? And, and I thought about that conversation as I read these verses. No matter what type of destruction is happening on the earth, be the destruction at the second coming, or the destruction because of evilness and Satan's dominion on the earth. The Lord always provides a place for his righteous children on the earth. Every time. Be it in the book of Moses, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the book of Mormon. I don't care where you're reading. Anywhere in the scriptures, we can see that when destruction and chaos is on the earth, the Lord provides a place of safety and refuge for his children on the earth. I'm not saying that fire and earthquakes and wars aren't scary and they're terrifying. What I am saying is that we should have faith in Heavenly Father's ability to preserve us because we are his children and we are doing our best to be among those righteous children that he will provide a place for. He will. I know he will. Now to switch gears largely from that little tangent for a moment, jumping to verse 21. Enoch, that unique individual who was mentioned in Genesis, walked with God. Very briefly, kind of mysterious description of him. We get a lot more of his history in the rest of this chapter. It starts in verse 21, where we first learn about Enoch. And the first thing that we learn in 21, his dad, Jared, lived 162 years and begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters and so on and so forth. 
and Jared taught Enoch in all the ways of God. We learn first about Enoch that he learned from his father. Enoch goes on to do incredible things, but started in the home with his parents. Yes, there were those individuals, as we saw with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, those individuals who do rebel despite the teachings that they're given. But we also see those individuals who are able to go do incredible things because of the foundation that they have through parenting, through good parents that gave them a foundation. And I'm grateful for my, how my parents have done that. But to keep talking about Enoch and what he does, the rest of the chapter is about Enoch. So to jump a little bit, verse 31, Enoch is called of God. So it talks about how Enoch was a righteous individual and the Lord was with him and the spirit of, of God descended out of heaven and descended upon him. And the Lord speaks to him and, and tells him that he needs to go prophesy unto the people. And he tells him what to prophesy. And then we jump to verse 31. And when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord and spake before the Lord saying, why is it that I have found favor in thy sight and am but a lad and all the people hate me for I am slow of speech. Wherefore am I thy servant? We see very quickly Enoch. We know the individual that he was. We know what's about to happen with the city of Zion, but Enoch sees his insecurities. The Lord saw what Enoch was capable of. And and Enoch, like many other prophets we see, modern prophets were from the scriptures. We see that often that feeling of inadequacy. And I'm really grateful for Sundays and for the Bishop Brick and my ward and how they how they follow inspiration to guide church meetings. Today, instead of having a regular sacrament meeting where individuals spoke on a talk or gave a talk, they, similar to a testimony meeting, invited people to come up at their own will and share their favorite scripture. In the past, what they've said, I'm new to this ward, so I don't know this. They said in the past, what they've done is invite people to come up and share their favorite hymn and why they love it. And then as a congregation, we would sing the hymn. Current circumstances and guidance from our stake presidency to not sing hymns due to the pandemic, we weren't able to do that. So instead, they shared scriptures. Well, because of that, to make this long story a little bit shorter, I asked my wife at the end of church, if you were to share your favorite scripture, what would you have shared? And what would you have said about it? And my wife said that she would share part of Second Nephi chapter 4 where Nephi expresses his desire to trust in the Lord and to not slacken his strength. There's a few verses there. And I knew she loved those verses, but I gained new insight into her love in them. And she shared her wisdom with me that a lot of the times we can focus on our own inadequacies. We can see our own weaknesses. Nephi declared, oh, wretched man that I am. Enoch declared, everyone hates me and I'm slow of speech and I'm a lad. There's a lot of inadequacies that we see in ourselves and often we can focus on those. But if we put that aside and trust in the Lord, as Nephi says, to read what he says in 2 Nephi 4, 34, O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. Jumping to 35, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me if I ask not amiss. Therefore, I will lift up my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of my righteousness. Behold, my voice shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock and mine everlasting God. If we focus on our inadequacies, we're not ever going to get very far. But if we put that aside and trust in the Lord, what we're capable of doing is remarkable, indescribable. So thanks, Daisha, for sharing that with me. 
To put it in other words, from President Monson, whom the Lord calls, he qualifies. To go back to Moses and to put it in the experience of Enoch, in verse 32, the Lord says unto him, Go forth and do as I have commanded. No man shall pierce thee. Open thy mouth, and it shall be filled, and I will give thee utterance. In essence, don't worry. I will help you. Just go and do what I ask, and you will be qualified. I'm really grateful for the scriptures to be a little personal here. I have a lot of weaknesses and inadequacies that I often focus on. There's one particular thorn in my side that I've been working on for over 10 years to remove from my life. I've tried a lot of things. I was talking to my bishop this morning about it, and I said, I said, I know the Lord can turn weaknesses into strengths, and I'm trying, but am I doing something wrong? It's preventing that from happening. And I'm really grateful for my wife and also for the scriptures to teach me and remind me that if I focus on my inadequacies and I'm worried about, am I doing it right? I'm not going to get very far. But if I trust in God and let my voice ascend up to him forever, he is the rock, not me. I'm really grateful for the scriptures, for how they teach these things. But to get back to Enoch and his experience, there's other things that I want to talk about that I really love. Later in the verses, it describes him as a seer. So Mosiah chapter 8 defines a seer as a revelator and a prophet also, and a gift which is greater can no man have. The gift which Enoch receives as a seer is great. To put it simply, what verse 36 says, he could see more. He could see more of God's work and more of God's will on earth. He saw more. The word seer is literally a seer. Comparing that with verse 27, when it's talking about the wicked individuals, their ears cannot see afar off. The mist of darkness is thickening. And when our sight, because of that mist, gets focused on the now, on the mortal, it's hard to understand the need to follow the Lord and to follow his teachings and to decipher the many influences within our life and to decipher between good and evil and to choose good. But when we see through the Lord's eyes, when our eyes are opened, we can see where we came from and where we have the potential to go. And seeing those things, seeing further past the mist of darkness, seeing to the tree of life, it becomes a lot more clear why we need to do these things. Our priorities can get straightened out. So Enoch, to see the sight that he received, he had to rub clay in his eyes. Well, what do we have to do? I don't think the Lord's asking us to go take clay and rub it in our eyes. But that clay can represent something. The scriptures are full of symbols. So what does that clay, what does that clay represent? I definitely have some ideas of my own, but I would love to hear yours. I'd love to invite you to seek answers this week as you're studying what that clay represents for you in your life. And if you have some ideas you want to share with me, I would love to hear them. You can send me an email. It's linked below. It's also just focusonlight13 at gmail.com. I would love to hear your insights on what you think this clay represents and what we can do to be obedient to the Lord and put clay in our eyes to see.
So let's jump back a little bit. Still Enix experience. Incredible individual. But jumping back a little bit to what, not just what Enix experiences as he's called, but what he's called to do and the types of things he has to teach. Jumping all the way back to verse 27, the Lord tells him to go and prophesy unto the people saying, repent for thus saith the Lord, I am angry with the people, so on and so forth. They're wicked. They've turned away from me for generations and a hell I have prepared for them if they repent not. Pretty harsh words the Lord has for Enoch to go declare to these people. It's the typical wickedness is prevailing. They've turned against me. If they don't repent, they're going to be destroyed. A pattern that sadly we are very familiar with from the Book of Mormon and the Lamanites and even the Nephites. But in verse 30, I love this. And this is a decree which I have sent forth in the beginning of the world from mine own mouth, from the foundation thereof. And by the mouths of my servants, thy fathers, have I decreed it, even as it shall be sent forth in the world unto the ends thereof. The Lord found it important to set the standard from the beginning, from the start. To talk about something that definitely is not scripture, my wife and I have been watching a TV show. It's called Terra Nova. It's been lots of fun to watch it with her. Very short explanation, premise of the TV show. The people are living in the future. The world is ending. There's no hope. It's, it's going to die. They find a way to travel back into the past, 85 million years, and to start over. In essence, they set up a colony, and they're living in a jungle, a group of people, and they've established a colony, and there's one leader. They're, they're there to start over because where they came from, their potential is very limited. So they're here for a new shot. And in this colony, everybody works together as a colony would to try and set up a new start. Well, in one particular episode, a murder happens. The first that the colony has ever experienced in seven years of its existence. And the leader of this colony has this weight, this responsibility on him, what to do. According to the rules of the colony, banishment is the consequence of murder. Out into the jungle you go, on your own. And he struggles to know what to do. He goes through with it and later talks to another character saying when he made that decision, he put his reputation on the line in front of all of the colony, which a lot of people may not have been happy about, but that it was necessary to establish a standard that they could live by forever. Even though it's a very temporal thing, it's a TV show, I, I've found a lot of truth in relating that to the scriptures that the Lord probably isn't very pleased to have to say, oh, some of my children, they've shut their eyes and their ears to me for generations. They've turned away from me. And if they don't change, if they keep it up, a hell is prepared for them. That is probably heartbreaking to him. He literally gave his only begotten son so that that wouldn't have to be the case. But he has to set the standard so that we know, so that we can understand how we can make sure we're on the right path. Now, I'm jumping all over the place again. Let's jump to verse 38. Talk a little bit more, or excuse me, 48. Talk a little bit more about repentance. So Enoch, he's told by the Lord that he needs to go prophesy unto the people. And so he does. He, live, he leaves his land of Canaan and goes to the people that are wicked and begins to teach unto them. This is what he's teaching. It's, his teaching starts in verse 41, but jumping to verse 48, he begins to talk about repentance. So verse 48, and he said unto them, because that Adam fell, we are, and by his fall came death, and we are made partakers of misery and woe. In essence, because Adam partook of the fruit, 
and he fell from the presence of God. Here we are on earth, full of misery. Behold, Satan hath come among the children of men and tempteth them to worship him. And men have become carnal, sensual, and devilish and are shut out from the presence of God. In essence, hey, we're here on earth. Satan's abounding among us. We're immoral. We're carnal. Because of that, we're shut out of the presence of God. In essence, uh, we're in a bad situation. And I love the first word of the next verse. But, and it's a big one. God hath made known unto our fathers that all men must repent. It's that simple. We are here in a fallen state and the presence of God is shut off from us, but he has told us that we must repent. It's that simple. If we continue, Enoch keeps sharing the experience of Adam. And he called upon our father Adam by his own voice saying, I am God, I made the world and men before they were in the flesh. And he also said unto him, if thou wilt turn unto me and hearken unto my voice and believe and repent all of all thy transgressions and be baptized even in water in the name of my only begotten son, who is full of grace and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the only name which shall be given under heaven, whereby salvation may come unto the children of men. He shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, asking all things in his name and whatsoever ye ask, it shall be given unto you. And our father Adam spake unto the Lord and said, why is it that men must repent and be baptized in water? And the Lord said unto Adam, Behold, I have forgiven thee the transgressions in the garden of Eden. Hence came the saying abroad among the people that the Son of God hath atoned for the original guilt, wherein the sins of the parents could not be answered upon the heads of the children, for they are whole from the foundation of the world. And the Lord spake unto Adam, saying, Inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin, even so then when, when they begin to grow up, sin conceiveth in their hearts, and they taste the bitter, that they may know to prize the good, and it is given unto them to know good from evil, wherefore they are agents unto themselves. What a wonderful gift to know this. From the beginning, from the original sin, as it's called, that the chance to be forgiven has always been there. The gift of repentance and the atonement of Jesus Christ and all the purity that that brings has been there from the beginning. Particularly verse 59 lays it out really well. But this is the doctrine of Christ. As I read this, I felt like I was reading the Book of Mormon, particularly like 2 Nephi 2 and 2 Nephi 31. Prophets in the Book of Mormon and throughout all the scriptures kind of have their way that they like to speak, particularly about the doctrine of Christ. And Nephi and Lehi have a particular way that they talk about it. And I felt like this was their language. You know, we also have the other truths in the Book of Mormon in Mosiah 3 and 4 and Alma the Younger's experience in Mosiah 27 and Alma 36, Alma 41 and 42 when the same Alma the Younger is speaking to his children, Moroni chapter 6 and 7, the same truths taught at the close of the Book of Mormon. These were sections of scriptures that I loved to use when I was a missionary to teach people, in essence saying, look at what you're missing. Look at the simplicity of this doctrine. Faith, repentance, baptism, confirmation of the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end, all possible through the grace of Christ. That's it. That's all you got to do. Clearly telling them, this is the way. Truths that I love, and a big part of the reason that I love the Book of Mormon, they're taught throughout the Book of Mormon, but particularly in those chapters that I mentioned, they are taught in simplicity and completeness that is hard to find anywhere else in Scripture especially in the Old Testament. But what we understand through restored scripture, these truths, this doctrine, this gospel, 
was here from the beginning. The way to eternal life has always been the same through Jesus Christ and his gospel. Jumping all the way back to verse 7. Now the same priesthood which was in the beginning shall be in the end of the world also. That priesthood also means the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a blessing to have these restored truths on earth and for the gift of the priesthood to make those essential ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ available to us. What a blessing that we get to know that. And so it makes sense if we jump back to where we were in verse 56, after the Lord tells Adam, your children are going to experience sin to hopefully cherish the good by tasting the bitter because it's given unto themselves to choose knowing good from evil. After he tells Adam that, he says, And I have given unto you another law and commandment. Wherefore, teach it unto your children, that all men everywhere must repent, or they can no wise inherit the kingdom of God. In essence, telling Adam, Your children are going to come to earth, and will have a chance to experience both good and evil. So make sure that you teach them. The only way to eternal life is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which starts with repentance and eventually baptism and so on and so forth. What an important thing to understand. In Genesis, all we get is begatting. Here, we get very clearly the doctrine of Jesus Christ. What a blessing to have that, to know this. To continue with the experience of Adam, verse 64, it came to pass when the Lord had spoken with Adam, our father, that Adam cried unto the Lord and he was caught away by the spirit of the Lord. And was carried down into the water and was laid under the water and was brought forth out of the water. And thus he was baptized and the spirit of God descended upon him. And thus he was born of the spirit and became quickened in the inner man. And he heard a voice out of heaven saying, Thou art baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is the record of the father and the son from henceforth and forever. And thou art after the order of him who is without beginning or days of end, days or end of years from all eternity to all eternity. Behold, thou art one in me and a son of God, and thus may all become my sons and daughters. This chapter is teaching us how we can become the children of God and be one with him. The doctrine of Jesus Christ, faith, repentance, baptism, confirmation, and enduring to the end, and receiving the other essential covenants in the temple, all possible through the gift of Jesus Christ. We study Genesis, we study the creation, and we see that the world begins, our earthly experience begins with Adam and Eve being forced out of the presence of God and the opportunity of returning to that, shutting off to them, the tree of life, and being told that they will die. What a horrible start. But here we can also see through the book of Moses that right there with that death, and the thorns and thistles was a chance of redemption. What a gift. In Come Follow Me, the section for this week, at the top of the section, they always have pictures that I love. This particular one, the painting by Kendall Ray Johnson titled, Better Than Paradise. Go look at it. Go look at it on your phone. But to describe it to you, on the left, I think, in my interpretation, it's the Garden of Eden. It's green and beautiful and full of animals and full of light. And then across the other side, across a river, across a divide, we see harsh, jagged mountains, brown plants, crops that Adam had to plant. But we see Adam and Eve standing there with a baby. 
It's a little darker, not as bright as the Garden of Eden. How could that mortal experience filled with work from the sweat of the brow and thorns and thistles be better than paradise? There's this joke that I have with my family, with my wife's family, that I've always found really funny that when something happens, when we're complaining about some mortal experience or some whatever it is, they make a joke, oh, well, you can blame Eve, right? Because of that, we have (laughs) a broken mortal body and a broken experience. And it's funny to me, I, I think it is, but it's only said as a joke. But even with those things, this, this broken, difficult life, I say that as I bend my knee and it hurts because I've injured it somehow. This, this is better than paradise. And it's because of that bishop that I talked about, that I was talking with this morning, he said something really interesting to me today. He said, with Satan's plan, we would have come to earth, but we would have left earth with nothing. Without growth, without wisdom, without experience, without knowledge, we would be the same. Without relationships, we would come to earth and leave it unchanged. The exact same. That's why this life is better than paradise, because it's a gift of growth, of improvement, and also a gift of redemption. A gift to receive all that the Father has. It wouldn't be possible without our earthly experience and without the doctrine of Christ making the way back to him possible. I know the gospel of Jesus Christ is a way back to Heavenly Father, and I know it's possible because of the atonement of Christ. I know that He truly suffered and died for us so that our sins can be redeemed and that all of us can be offered eternal life if we will choose to follow His teachings and His doctrine. I'm grateful for scriptures and prophets like Enoch who teach these things to us plainly. Let's end it with verse 59. That by the reason of transgression cometh the fall, which fall bringeth death. And inasmuch as you were born into the world by water and blood and the spirit, which I have made and so become of dust a living soul. In essence, as much as you're born physically into the world, even so ye must be born again into the kingdom of heaven, of water and of the spirit, and be cleansed by blood, even the blood of mine only begotten, that ye may be sanctified from all sin and enjoy the words of eternal life in this world and eternal life in the world to come, even in mortal glory. We have to be born again through baptism and through the blood of Jesus Christ to change us into something new. I'm grateful for the way the scriptures teach us those beautiful sacred truths. Now, one other thing that's off topic from all of that that I wrote down, and I write a lot of notes as I'm studying, but then I erase a lot of them, right? I kind of type up a script and some of the notes go away and it just isn't something that isn't worth it, but doesn't match the rest of what I'm talking about. It just doesn't seem to fit anywhere. And this was one of those things that was going to go away, but I felt like it shouldn't. So hopefully whoever needs to hear this is. As I was reading Moses chapter six, particularly the experience of Enoch, I felt like I was reading the Book of Mormon. Like I said, I, the, the prophets in the Book of Mormon, kind of have the way they like to teach things, both about the fall of Adam and the plan of salvation and the doctrine of Christ, which Enoch teaches very clearly here. It feels very much like Lehi and Nephi's teachings. And part of that is the restored truth, but also is the way that they go about teaching it, the words that they speak and the order in which they explain things. 
And it just made me think, what a blessing the scriptures are. I bet Nephi related a lot to Enoch, felt a lot like him. And I bet Lehi related a lot to Adam. And because of that, and the way that they were able to study their teachings, then influenced their lives and the way that they were able to teach their children. Nephi, like Enoch, was a descendant of righteous parents and saw his siblings choose otherwise. And because of that, had to leave his home and go to a new land. And I'm not talking about leaving Jerusalem and going to the promised land. Once he made it to the promised land, Nephi did. With Laman and Lemuel, Lehi died, and Laman and Lemuel became increasingly wicked and threatened Nephi's life. And because of that, Nephi and the other righteous individuals had to flee and start over again in the promised land. Very similar to what Enos had to do with his son Canaan. An experience very similar to what Enoch went through. So, no, their experiences are not the exact same. They're similar. And I bet that Nephi was really grateful for the scriptures and relied on them. And I'm grateful that we can do the same. That like my wife relating to Nephi and therefore being able to teach me, or me relating to Alma the Younger, like I often do, and being able to teach, hopefully, some of you, hopefully, my future children. What a blessing it is to have scriptures that we can cherish, that we can relate to ourselves, and we can find teaching us that apply to what we are going through. Enoch is an incredible individual, but he's also just a human. He had trials. He had similitants he maybe didn't get along with. But he also had faith, and he chose to obey. So, for some reason, I just felt the need to mention that the scriptures are a blessing, that whether we're Nephi or now, we can find individuals and relate to them and improve our own life because of the teachings and the experiences they go through. I know the scriptures are the word of God, and I know they teach his doctrine, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now, there's two other things that I want to mention here. I was going to try and fit them in to the episode and make it sound like I didn't, and, you know, I'd mentioned this from the beginning, uh, but there's nowhere to really fit it. Last night as I finished recording this and I went to bed, uh, the thought kept occurring to me, these things that I talked about are all wonderful. They're all very true, and I don't take back anything that I said, but I want this particular podcast to be for everyone, but, but mainly for youth, for young adults. How can these truths be particularly applied to their unique situations that they're in? They're not parents. They don't have children that they need to teach, which is a lot of what we talked about. And I just laid there in bed thinking about, thinking about what I had said, just said about Nephi. How can these scriptures be related to the unique experiences of the youth? There's kind of two things that stood out to me specifically that I wanted to mention. So the first is going all the way back uh, to Enoch and his experience when he is called of God. So in verse 31 is where Enoch expresses his inadequacies and his worries like we talked about a lot earlier. But the thing that I wanted to mention that can really apply to youth 
is to talk a little bit more about the promise that the Lord gave him in verse 32. And the Lord said unto Enoch, Go forth and do as I have commanded thee, and no man shall pierce thee. Open thy mouth, and it shall be filled, and I will give thee utterance. That's the Lord's promise that Enoch feels like he's slow of speech. But the Lord promises him that if he opens his mouth, it will be filled. So if we jump a little bit to where Enoch then goes and obeys the commandments of the Lord and goes, teaches the people, travels to the new city and teaches them in verse 40, Enoch's teachings really start in verse 41 to the end of the chapter. That's Enoch teaching the people in the land that he travels to. But that teaching starts in verse 40 when an individual, a man whose name was Mahijah, I think is how you say that, said unto him, Tell us plainly who thou art and from whence thou comest. And it made me think that right now, as youth, as young adults, most frequent, most often chance we have to teach the gospel is when we're asked questions. Being, being in high school, having friends, whether your friends are members of the church or not, or not there comes moments where because of your standards, because of the way you live, questions will be asked about you and about the way you're choosing to act and choosing to live. Those opportunities, if we're willing to open our mouth and let it be filled, is a wonderful opportunity to share our testimony of the gospel. Now that can be a little bit nerve-wracking to try and defend ourselves or stand up for ourselves or be open and honest about why we do what we do, that it's intimidating. It's scary. But just like Enoch, if we can have the faith to just open your mouth, I promise you that it will be filled every time. Now, the other thing that I want to mention that's an even bigger, even more applicable to young adults and youth is all the way in verse 55 and 56 when Enoch's actually teaching now. So he's teaching this individual who asked him a question and he's talking about Adam and Adam's experience learning about repentance and about baptism and the gift of forgiveness from the original sin. Verse 55, And the Lord spake unto Adam, saying, Inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin, even so then when they begin to grow up, sin conceiveth in their hearts, and they taste the bitter, that they may know to prize the good. And it is given unto them to know good from evil, wherefore they are agents unto themselves. This is why we're here. This is what we're doing. You in your life are learning to experience the bitter so that, as the scriptures say, you can prize the good. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of bitter out there in the world. And at your age, at our age, I'm a young adult too, we're learning how to decipher between good and evil. There's a lot of things that are very clear. And there's a lot of things that we have to experience to understand if it's bitter or good. But you have the knowledge. It is given to you to know the difference. And the ability to choose is up to you. To be an agent unto yourself. That's the time in the life you're in right now. So as you have experiences, as I reflect on my high school experience a lot, there are a lot of times where my friends were choosing to do things that were very bitter, that I chose to do things. I'm not just going to blame it on other people, that I chose to do things that were very bitter. And I'm grateful for those because it helped me to understand what was good and to learn to cherish it. 
it's given to you to know the difference. So pay attention to those feelings. Is it something good or is it bitter? And learn to cherish those things that are good. You'll know. You have the ability to know good from evil. So just act accordingly. So hopefully with those two little additions, I did a little bit better at applying the scriptures to you and your unique experiences and circumstances as a youth and a young adult. And to myself as well, I'm in that category as well. But I also think that's an important lesson to understand that applying the scriptures to us isn't always obvious. Sometimes we read sections of scriptures that, like we talked a lot about in Genesis, is just about begatting and old men. But if we look for things to teach us, it's there. And I, and I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has listened to these. It's been very fulfilling uh, seeing individuals share it, talk about it. Then individuals have sent me messages that have, have all been very kind. Like I shared earlier personally, I often feel inadequacies. Very big one. And because of that, I often feel like I have limited the good that I can do, that I so desperately want to do. And it's been really fulfilling and uplifting to understand that maybe a little bit I've been able to do that. So thanks for all the nice things individuals have sent to me for sharing the show. If you think that someone could benefit from this and you'd want to share with them, there's a very, very simple link in the uh, description below, a link tree. Podcasts are weird and individuals listen to them on tons of different places. So sometimes a link like that where they can go and find the individual place where they choose to listen to it is a lot easier. Or just tell them to find Focus on the Light wherever they listen to podcasts. So thank you. This has been a huge blessing and I, I just am grateful for the scriptures. And So thank you for listening with me here to Focus on the Light. Thanks for enjoying the scriptures with me. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>